Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Yeah, let's kick off. Let's do some speaking. I've got a lot of slides. Um, Sorry, I just get a bit excited when I have a microphone. I kind of say whatever and you have to listen. Um, So we are continuing our series. This is the penultimate sermon. We're going a little bit off order. This is the last uh, you have heard it said phrase but Caro's doing the oaths and stuff next week because this is the last one. I think it's because, you know, at weddings, the best man is usually like second and the groom is last, so the groom can apologize for all the stuff the best man has just said and offended everyone. I think that's what Caro's done. And just be like, if Ryan says anything offensive, I've got coverage for him. It's fine. Um, And I'm doing Love Thy Enemy, which is such a great topic and totally with my enthusiastic voice. Um, works really well. But um, I really think that what Jesus is sharing and some of the stuff that I've been digging into uh, is really applicable for each and every one of us. Uh, so I'm excited to get into it. Um, and as we've talked about, this is the, the whole Sermon on the Mount is not an expectation to do better. It's an invitation to be whole. It's Jesus stretching out his hand and going, will you do this journey with me? He's exhibiting a way that we can be more fully human and it's not a tick box done that sorted put it away it's a will you go on this journey with me so let's kick things off with a question yes who is your enemy who or arch nemesis so have a little chat with the person next to you or behind you and just share with them who your arch nemesis is Uh, Any, like, details, specifics, anything like that? Just have a quick chat. Okay. Thanks for having that conversation. Must have been super easy revealing who your arch nemesis is. Um, In the spirit of being authentic and honest, I thought it was only fair that I share with you who my arch nemesis is. Um, And it's this person. Oh, him! There's a better photo, Dan. Can you go to the better photo? Kale! Oh my goodness, Kale! If you haven't watched Lego Masters, you do not know what I'm talking about. But my goodness, if you have, you know exactly what's going on. Wow, this guy, this guy right here, he is so, he just rubs me up the wrong way. And he just doesn't play fair. And he doesn't talk to Billsy about the teamwork. And he does things on his own. And he's terrible. Look, he's holding fire and he's awful. And he's... His name is Kale, I know, like what kind of a name is that? But there we go. Obviously, I'm completely exaggerating and that's part and parcel with doing a sermon because preachers are meant to exaggerate everything and that kind of thing. But it's to kind of prove a point because the idea of kind of having an arch nemesis or a personal enemy doesn't really relate with us at all like it's not like we're Harry Potter and we've got someone who's literally out to kill us like every day and that's their main thing Um, that doesn't really happen so Jesus is talking about loving our enemy like how does that relate to us when we don't actually really feel like we have one maybe Um, but even though we don't maybe relate it to it on a personal level I think it's something that we see in our cultural narrative quite a lot Um, In particular, movies. Um, Here is just a selection of movies that I found that kind of pit good against bad, um, all that stuff. So you've got Avengers. If you haven't seen it, 
please go see it. Do yourself a favor. Um, one of my favorites, Cats and Dogs. Cats being evil, obviously. Um, and it was so good, they made a 3D version as well. It was amazing. Um, Eagle vs. Shark, nice little shout out. Um, so movie-wise, we really buy into this idea of good versus evil, like vanquishing the enemies and that kind of thing. Um, but then we, if we take it down to a bit more kind of like realistic social level, actually we see this in uh, sports and stuff like that. So we've got State of Origin coming up. Yeah, New South Wales. Um, I've loved some of the adverts and stuff. It's amazing. So the greatest battle on earth, which most of the planet has never heard of, realistically, I'm just saying. No offense. <laughs> state before mates. Like, brandish over promoting this. Put your state before your friendships. Like, this challenging get behind where you're from. Um, and obviously, like, literally yesterday, we've got the political climate of you've got the Labour and the Liberal parties, like, pitting against each other. Like, who's the enemy? Who's good? Who's bad? But I, I, I think you guys shouldn't worry because realistically, like, political climate, I can't really talk. Like, compared to where we are, um, yeah, I'll let you read that. <laughs> if, uh, if you're listening on the podcast, I'm really sorry, but it's a hilarious joke about Lord of the Rings and Brexit. Um, and that's what we got. Um, so I think this is kind of what Jesus is referencing when he's talking about enemies. He's talking about those that we kind of have this kind of animosity towards, this, the people that we kind of treat as other, rather than necessarily that vanquishing enemy kind of language that maybe we think of when we hear the word enemy. Um, so let us read the passage together. It is in Matthew, and it will come up on the screen. Thanks, Dan. Um, and I'll read it. Dan's so great. Uh, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Lovely. You have heard it said is a cast reference back from Jesus to a passage in Leviticus, Leviticus 19.18. Thank you, Dan. Uh, which talks about loving your neighbor. It doesn't actually mention the word enemies. So why is Jesus saying that it, it does? Because the Old Testament doesn't say it. Jesus is kind of talking into a situation that the Pharisees and the religious leaders have kind of created so their idea of loving your enemy was very, very specific and bespoke. It was basically love your Israelite neighbor. There wasn't really any kind of like range. That was the criteria. So they were very much saying love your Israelite neighbor. So Jesus is critiquing this and going, this is actually what you're living by. You're living as hating your enemy, 
But he is calling us to something deeper, something so much more. And this whole kind of like Sermon on the Mount is culminating to this moment. It's arguably Jesus' most ludicrous request of us to love our enemies. That's ridiculous. We can kind of get away with some of the earlier ones and the oaths and revenge. And yeah, we can kind of get. But this is above and beyond. This is crazy. But Jesus, again, with all of the Sermon on the Mount requests, he's inviting us into wholeness and he's going, I am with you on this journey. This is part of the journey together. I will be with you. It's not a critique. It's an encouragement to us. And as we go through, this is actually a really practical passage for us to live out because the whole passage is all about going from turning an enemy into a neighbor enemy into neighbor and Jesus sets out some practical steps for us to actually act on throughout so thank you Dan step number one pray for them turning an enemy into a neighbor pray for them but I say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you now the word persecute might again start to kind of think oh I'm not really persecuted like we kind of see ideas of like persecution and loving your enemy in that way from amazing people like Nelson Mandela and Martin Luther King and that kind of thing. And we kind of discount potentially ourselves and be like, well, I'm not really in that position. I'm not really being persecuted. So does this really relate to me? I don't really have enemies. So what's going on? But the word there for persecute is... Basically, someone who's kind of chastising you, rubbing you off the wrong way, like harassing you, it's very relatable in terms of the stuff that we talked about, in terms of the political climate and people that just get on your nerves like kale um, and that kind of stuff. And the word enemy itself, um, which we had in an earlier slide, um, it is specifically looking at people that we just don't like. It's not talking about this deep, inlying hatred and animosity. Um, Martin Luther King Jr. says, we don't get rid of enemies with violence, but by getting rid of hate. We don't get rid of our enemies with violence, but by getting rid of hate. See, violence is all about towards something, but actually when we deal with the hatred, that's looking inside ourselves. And the reason we pray for our enemies is because prayer actually changes us. It opens us up to the Holy Spirit, who is able to replace that hatred and animosity with love and grace. We're able to see the other person as how Jesus sees them, not by what they've done to us or what they've said to us. Because prayer is changing us to allow us to be more like Jesus, to see those people as his son or daughter, someone that he has created and loved. So step number one is pray for them. Step number two is greet them. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? If you are simply just greeting those that you're friends with, those that you get along with and in relational connection with them, you have a very kind of like, very 
small worldview because you're interacting with people that agree with you, that aren't challenging your way of thinking, that aren't challenging the culture that you find yourself in. And we like being right, and we like hearing that, so we hang around the same kind of people. But Jesus is challenging this because if we simply just love the people that like what we like, then we're kind of just loving ourselves because we're loving what we see in ourselves in them. So this is kind of like Jesus at the time eating with tax collectors and sinners. He's challenging that culture, that idea of your neighbor has to be an Israelite and has to be a teacher in the law. I always think that if Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners in this day and age, what would that look like? How much more challenging it would be to hear that Jesus was eating with rapists and white supremacists and pedophiles. That suddenly hits home a little bit, a little bit deeper than we thought. And like Oren said uh, last week when we were talking about revenge, you can love a person dear to you with human love, but it takes divine love to love an enemy. And it can be something as small as a smile. It doesn't have to be big and massive and a grand gesture. But science has shown that actually when we smile towards one another, actually it does good for the brain of the person that actually sees that smile. So in a quick moment, um, while I'm finding my place again, um, just give a quick smile to the person next to you and see how it makes them feel. Isn't it lovely? And we have finally step number three. And I think this, this is the depth that Jesus is inviting us to. Step number three is have no thems. Not have no thumbs, have no thems. Because God doesn't have any thems. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. While I've been researching, like, this has challenged me so much. So much. So I've been praying so much for grace because it, I often feel really um, contradictory in terms of if I'm speaking about something, and I don't want you to hear this as a, you should be doing this, because I've got it right, and I'm telling you how to do it. It is so much something I need to grow in. And I'm amazed by some of the people that I've met in this community that do this so well. Um, and there's so much wisdom in this family that we can lean from. But God is inviting us to replicate who he is. Because God doesn't have any thems. He doesn't have other. He doesn't have in and out. Because he's saying, be like your father in heaven. So that you may be sons of your father in heaven. In the Old Testament, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. The Lord is unity. He is wholeness. He is one. He's not divided. He is one. And he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. What? Crazy. And the sun is good. The sun is all about like making the crops grow and that kind of thing. And sends rain on the just and the unjust. What? 
That's crazy. Why would you do that? Surely not. Surely yes. Surely yes, because God created every single human being. And he will cause the sun to rise and the rains to come, both being good. So if we start the journey and start engaging in step one and praying for those people we see as our enemy and greeting them like step two, we start to actually dissolve the very category of enemy. Because if you're choosing to direct positive, good thoughts towards another person, can you actually categorize them as an enemy? And I think this is what Jesus is actually getting about. He's challenging us to take away that us and them, enemy, friend, neighbor, like he is encouraging us to see this whole picture of humanity. So why then do we feel like we need thems? Why do we need thems? It feels good. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. It feels good. Because if someone else is bad, that means that I'm good. If someone's done something wrong or says something different that I don't agree with, if I categorize them as bad, that means I'm on the good side, which props me up, which feels nice. It feels good. Like We want that self-esteem. We want to feel that we're good, that we're on the right side. And actually, sadly, the truth is the easiest way to boost self-esteem and feel good about yourself is to put down other people, to say that they're wrong and I'm right, they're bad and I'm good, which is why gossiping is so easy to get involved with. And I'll quite happily hold my hands up and say that is something that I do because when we feel low, when we feel bad, we want that boost. We want that kind of... I am good. I'm not as bad as them. I'm doing all right. I'm not bad as them. And it's easy. It's quick and easy. This idea of good and bad, right and wrong, it's quick and simple. And this idea of this or that thinking is called dualism. It's this or it's that. And there's nothing in between. It's one or the other. But actually, I don't think that's how we've experience life or how we do life. Life is complicated and messy and different and there's no black and white. There's like over 50 shades of gray. <laughs> there we go. Lighten the mood a little bit. Um, and there's a great quote from a guy called Richard Raw, who I'm sure some of you will be familiar with. Dualistic thinking gets us in the right ballpark, but non-dualistic thinking is necessary once you get in the right field. This is this whole idea of Jesus not coming to abolish the law, but fulfill it. The law is there to kind of help us get in the right field. But Jesus is inviting us to this greater understanding. He's not saying that old way is wrong. He's just opening us up to a new way of thinking. This is something that the Pharisees just could not see um, and Jesus tells them a story uh, in Luke 18, which I'll read out. It's called The Parable of the Pharisee and the Tax Collector. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. 
Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Pharisee thought that all the things that he was doing was justifying himself. That the fact that he was fasting twice a day and he gave the tenth of all the stuff he gave was making him righteous. And those aren't bad things but it's the motivation that we're doing it with. And he was doing it to prop himself up, show that he was better than everyone else. But actually, Jesus is calling us away from the comparison of dualistic thinking into the wholeness and love of unity with one another. So what benefit do we have if we adopt this new way of thinking and get rid of thems? It's literally healthier for us, like literally. I get so excited when science and stuff like that matches up with biblical truth. I love it, it's so good, it's so good. Because it's this reality of reason is not against what Jesus is saying. Like he is so switched on, he knows exactly what we need. He understands us, he understands this journey of wholeness and it's not obsolete, it genuinely makes sense. So I'm going to read a few names that I can't even say and then tell you some things and you might think that they're true. Feel free to disagree if you want. But Larry Schwartz, who is a health researcher, said that people who use I, me, or mine have a higher risk of heart attack. Jonas Zimmerman did a test and noticed that people who say I and me are more likely to be depressed than those who say we and us. And recent brain scans have shown that empathy circuits are not activated unless we see other people as part of us or our group. Very interesting. I should put my glasses on for that, but completely forgot. I don't actually need these. These are literally for comic effect. Um, There you go. A little bit of truth. Um, It is literally healthier for us, including people in who we see as ourselves. And that's the great thing about what Jesus shares and something that the world should see is we are all in this together. What unites us is so much greater than what divides us because we can see each other as people who live on a planet. That is something that unites us regardless of what religion or what faith or what ethnicity or culture you come from. We are all in this planet together. And I am so hopeful for the campaigns for climate change and that kind of thing because it's something that we are doing together because this is a planet that we are all in on. Secondly, 
We are imitating God. As I said earlier, God doesn't have any thems. And we are encouraged in Ephesians 5 to imitate God. It says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're imitating God when we are living in unity with one another. And finally, if you're not convinced yet, it liberates us. It frees us from the idea that we have to prop ourselves up on other people. It frees us from the idea of having to categorize everyone and paint everyone with the same kind of brush. We often live in a bias where if we say something like, um, uh, we talk about Muslims, suddenly we paint Muslims all with the same brush because we have a bad experience. Because we live this sense of bias that actually we can't interact and step into something complex. So we can often paint people in the same brush and say, oh, well, because they're like that, all of them are like that. But that's actually not the reality. And we need to be really challenged in terms of actually interacting with people that we feel like we might have animosity to because they're not all the same. They are unique. They all have journeys. And this Sermon on the Mount, this uh, sharing that Jesus has ends with this verse. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. As an Enneagram number one who is a perfectionist, this is quite a verse. <laughs> if you don't know what the Enneagram is, talk to Linda because she's amazing at it. Um, but as Caro said the other week when we were having our panel, actually, it's not about ascertaining a standard because the word there is teleos. I love using Greek because no one can realistically argue with you. Like, no one's going to be like, uh, actually, that's not the right word. Unless someone's actually Greek. <laughs> and then I'm in big trouble. Nope. Good. Okay. <laughs> it's teleos, which I love because it's all about brought to completion, fully accomplished, fully developed. It's not ascertaining a standard. It's all about wholeness. The verse is, be whole, therefore, as your heavenly Father is whole. As I said at the start, this is an invitation. It's not an expectation. Jesus is inviting us to live whole lives. This is not expecting you to do something that actually isn't going to do you good. So to finish, I'm going to play a song. And I just invite you either to close your eyes and just reflect on the lyrics or watch the music video. It's simply just the musicians playing. But just think to yourself, are there people that I other? I cast aside. I think, oh, I'm not part of them. And just allow Jesus to speak to you about them. Maybe he'll start revealing some of their story, some of their testimony that's taken them to the place that they are.
thank you, like Ryan said, that you are one, that you are whole, and that you are unified. And as we've just been challenged, I pray that we would lean into that for ourselves, to be one as you are one, to look into the eyes of those near to us or far from us and see not others but brothers and sisters. Help us to be humble like that tax collector, to have eyes to see you and to see you in those around us, Lord. Thank you for this wisdom and we pray that we would uh, be people that live more in this truth even this week as we go about our lives. Thank you that you are a God of grace and of mercy and that your sun rises and your rain falls even on us. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. Ha, ha, ha.